If you would turn to 2 Kings 11, we're going to read that chapter in a moment, but I'm going to do something different. Um, in the back of your bulletin, I've listed some of the people in this chapter, and I'm going to go over those first before we read it, because there's a lot of different folks that may be unfamiliar to you. So in 2 uh, Kings 11, the first person that you come across is Athalia. She is a granddaughter of a king, uh, Omri. She's also an evangelist, missionary, and patron of Baal, the uh, pagan worship. She's the mother of a king that got murdered in chapter 9. And uh, he is not really in this chapter, but he's a big part of it. Uh, she is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. So that should tell you something. If you're a Bible reader, you know the names of uh, Ahab and Jezebel. She's she was married to a king, Jehoram. Uh, that is because Jehoshaphat, who was a relatively good king, made a serious mistake and said, I'll take my son to marry the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And she is currently the violent queen of Judah, the southern nation. Jehu, or you could say his name, Jehu is not mentioned, but he killed uh, her son, and that's really why we got in this, uh, in this predicament. The two heroes of the story are Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada. Uh, Jehoshaphat is also the daughter of a king. Probably Athalia is not her mother, maybe stepmother. She's the half-sister of Ahaziah, the king that was killed in 2 Kings 9. She's married to Jehoiada, who is the chief priest of, uh, at the time. And she saved the reason she's mentioned, she saved the grandson of Athaliah, maybe a step-grandson, Joash, from death. And we'll, we'll read about this. The other uh, person in this, uh, these two heroes is Jehoiada. As we said, he's married to Jehoshaphat. He's the brother-in-law to Ahaziah, the king that was killed. And according to Second Chronicles chapter 24, he's either a priest, probably a high priest. All right, so having gone through all those unfamiliar names, let's read uh, this strange story in Second Kings 11. Listen to God's word. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Azariah, and stole him away from among the king's son who were being put to death, and she put him and his nurse in a bedroom. Thus they hid from Athaliah so that he was not put to death. And he remained with her six years, hidden in the house of the Lord, while Athaliah reigned over the land. But in the seventh year, 
Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the Karaites and of the guards and had them come to him in the house of the Lord. And he made a covenant with them and put them under oath in the house of the Lord. And he showed them the king's son. And he commanded them, This is the thing that you shall do. One third of you, those who come off duty on the Sabbath and guard the king's house, another third being at the gate, sir, and a third at the gate behind the guards, shall guard the palace. And the two divisions of you which come on duty in force on the Sabbath and guard the house of the Lord on behalf of the king shall surround the king, each with his weapons in his hands, and whoever approaches the ranks is to be put to death. Be with the king when he goes out and when he comes in. The captains did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded, and they each brought his men who were to go off duty on the Sabbath with those who were to come on duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave to the captains the spears and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of the Lord. And the guards stood every man with his weapon in his hand from the south side of the house to the north side of the house around the altar and the house on behalf of the king. Then he brought out the king's son and put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. And they proclaimed him king and anointed him and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king! When Athaliah heard the noise of the garden of the people, she went into the house of the Lord to the people. And when she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar according to custom, and the captains and the trumpeters beside the king and all the people of the land rejoicing and blowing trumpets. And Athaliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason, treason. Then Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains who were set over the army, Bring her out between the ranks and put to death with the sword anyone who follows her. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they laid hands on her, and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house, and there she was put to death. And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people, they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his image they broke in pieces, and they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altar. And the priest posted watchmen over the house of the Lord, and he took the captains, the Karaites, the guards, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord, marching through the gate of the guards to the king's house. And he took his seat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet after Athalia had been put to death with a sword at the king's house. Josiah was seven years old when he began to reign. Let's pray together. Father, sometimes these passages in the Old Testament are not the easiest to understand, and so we ask for your help. We could certainly talk about it, 
Uh, the pastors here are good enough speakers that they can speak, but that's not what we want. We want your Holy Spirit to be present. We want us to learn about Christ, to learn something more about you, to be encouraged so that we are more faithful. Be with us as we think through this passage and, and help us to apply it. We pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if you know that Elmo is still active, but I just picked this up this week. Um, he's alive. I'm, I, I don't think I was in the generation of Sesame Street, so I didn't even know that he was still active. But Elmo, in the last few days of January of 2024, this year, he started a conversation on X, and all he said was, Elmo is just checking in. How is everybody doing? This was covered in almost every news uh, uh, document I read. I, it's on NPR, CNN, in the papers. And people responded that they were, they were hurting. Here's one, one response. Elmo, I'm going to be real with you. I don't think I can keep living like this. I can't stop but say, you're going to be real with Elmo? But whatever the case, they got a lot of response. Elmo, people said, you know, I'm still part of Sesame Street. I, I don't get it. But um, not everyone was negative, but there was so much concern that Sesame Workshop, which I guess is their online presence, they, they put out a little bulletin and they said, in response to the growing mental health crisis, Sesame Workshop is supporting the emotional well-being of young children and their families. And then they went on to say, we have resources, and in the next months and years, we're going to be posting these. That's, um, I guess, where you're at. I, I thought about this because I was kind of shocked, not a follower of Elmo. Uh, but, you know... If you think about it, those of you who go to church regularly, your week begins with worship, prayer, you hear God's word, you have fellowship, and then at the end of the service, the minister says some words from the scripture, which is essentially saying, God accepts you, he wants to bless you, he wants to give you all that he has, and it's all in Christ. That is quite a way to begin a week. And I think the people that were responding to Elmo, I, I don't know any of them, but I imagine they didn't have that. They just have, I don't know what they have, I guess they have Elmo. But I'm not making light of, uh, you know, people that are hurting, I'm just saying it struck me. So I want to look at uh, this passage that we read, and on the back of the bulletin, uh, has all those names and just has a brief outline. There's really three themes I'm looking at and then the final theme is really the big theme and I've left out a couple words uh, so maybe you won't fall asleep during this. But the first is the violence of unbelievers. That's what we're going to look at first. Violence is the word that was left out. The second is the heroism of 
a solitary person, or in this case a couple, heroism is left out. The third is spiritual renewal, unites with national conflict, renewal is the key word, and then Christ's kingdom will overcome all opposition. So let's look at first the violence of unbelievers. Uh, the, the Bible is often uh, very terse in its description of things. It just says that now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she just arose and, and killed everybody that could have a claim on the throne. And it doesn't go on. It just matter-of-factly says if anybody had a claim, she just killed them. And I happen to look, I don't remember why, but there's a uh, I can't remember what, it might be German by the last name, Hermann Mueller in the early 1500s. And there's a picture of the scene, actually, verse 1. And Athaliah is in the back, she's paying maybe the captain of the guard or some general, and then it has these soldiers, and they are holding babies in one arm and taking a spear and killing the baby. There's another soldier that is killing another older child. There are some dead children around. There's a mother protecting her child. But in the left is a woman walking away with a one-year-old baby. And we'll get to that. But what is striking to me is she's killing her grandchildren. That's what's gruesome. I mean, when I think of a grandmother, we have, we have grandchildren, uh, we kiss them, we play with them, we like them, we give them gifts, grandmothers cook for them, they read to them, they do not have to kill their grandchildren. And she's doing this just as a matter of fact. In fact, her husband did the same thing. When he became king, he killed all his brothers. And so, that's what's happening in this, uh, this story. Jehoram did that in 2 Kings 21. And what you see is the government is killing the opposition. Uh, Jehoram, Athaliah, it's a common tool, not with every unbeliever, but it's a common tool that unbelievers resort to against believers. Unbelievers like to talk about openness, they like to talk about being tolerant, open-minded, but at times, at times, unbelievers are incredibly intolerant, anti-rational, and closed-minded about other worldviews. You see this throughout the Bible. It starts with uh, Cain and Abel and ends in Revelation. And all through the Bible, there's violence against unbelievers. We think of the prophets, uh, even apostles in the first century, and then even past the time of the biblical writing, they're still episodic or um, sporadic uh, persecution. Uh, Paul faced this all his life, but of course no one experienced violence like the Lord Jesus Christ. From the moment that he was born, he was surrounded by violence. He had to leave at an early age to go to Egypt because of violence. And finally, he ends his life in the most violent way. Can't spend too much time on this, but 
you know that our world is a violent place for believers. Let me share the top five countries, according to Open Doors, that are the worst in persecution. Uh, North Korea heads the list. Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, and Libya. Do you know that Nigeria is the deadliest place to be a Christian? 82% of the killings of Christians are in Nigeria. So listen to this. The population of the U.S. now is about 335 million, about. Today, more than 360 millions worldwide suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination. However, 312, that's just below our entire population of our whole country, face very high or extreme levels of persecution. And then one final statistic, which I know numbers you may, uh, they may go over your head, but in 1993, Christians faced high to extreme levels of persecution in 40 countries. Last year, in 2023, that number has almost doubled to 76. That many countries. Uh, and it's usually the government. When the government falls to pieces, then this is what happens. So that's the violence of unbelievers. Now look, let's look at the heroism of this, this couple. I don't know why Jehoshaphat and even Jehoiada is not more famous. If women wanted to use an example of someone in the Bible, it's this gal. Uh, she's, just, she's just a hero. Uh, when I first started studying this, I thought they were just a common hoi polloi couple. But really they're not. They're, they're kind of a power couple. When I went through, you'll see in the back of your bulletin, when I went through the two of them, they're related to everybody in power. Uh, they're just not some fading flower. They're, they're the power company. They're, she's related to a king, and so is he. And he, if not a high priest, you can tell by the way he uh, was bossing these temple personnel around, he's a man of authority. And he doesn't tell them, you know, we could maybe do this. He says, this is what you'll do. And they do it. So, uh, there's something else. They had a lot to learn. They were known and related to the queen, Athaliah. Now, fortunately for them, they took Joash, this one-year-old, and kept him for six years in the last place that Athaliah would go, and that's the temple. She was a promoter of Baal. She was a violent, violent queen, and she hated Yahweh. Just imagine Joash in one day, maybe one day, maybe it's more, but I would think Athaliah knew all of Joash's siblings, maybe cousins. In one day, he lost everyone. They're all dead. And he leaves his mother and father and is raised in the temple. And that's because of uh, these two. And you know, you think about what she did, what he did. If Athaliah had heard and known what they did, do you think they would have, she would have said, oh, it's okay, you're just keeping someone alive. 
Oh no. They would have been both killed by this wicked queen. So they really, uh, they really took a risk. They were playing a dangerous game. Now on one hand, I don't want to put too much emphasis on what they did in a solitary way because God is, His Holy Spirit is encouraging them and prompting them to do this. I know that may sound like a distinction without a difference, but it is, it is the, the power of God that is keeping this young baby alive. They were, they were strategic thinkers. So it really doesn't come out that this is the last heir of David. But they knew it. They knew that they had to keep him alive or there would be no Messiah. There really wouldn't be a Christmas if it wasn't for, for these two. Because the, the line of David would have ended. This is the last one. And they must have been uh, pretty discouraged, I would think. But somehow they, they were discreet enough. They kept this little baby in the temple precinct where the priest lived. And I still don't know how they did it. I mean, babies cry. They need to be outside running around. I don't know how, but they did. And it's probably because Athaliah never went to the temple. She was a long way away from there. She was worshiping uh, Baal. They, they had to convince others to join them. They must have enlisted people and told them to keep it quiet. It's, it's interesting that anytime there's a movement of wickedness, there's also a cross current in the same sense. So Athaliah is just awful. And here's Jehoiada the priest, his wife, they're going against Athaliah. It's like in Egypt, uh, the Pharaoh said, just kill all the ma male babies. The midwife says, no, I'm not going to do that. Mm. Uh, Paul talks about people in Caesar's household. He doesn't mean that he's just saying hi to them. It's probably that there are believers in the very household of Caesar, undermining what Rome is doing. And you'll, you'll find that. You'll always find that. So you have the violence of unbelievers, the heroism of this couple. And then what I think is really fascinating, which takes up most of the chapter, is spiritual renewal unites with national conflict. When you read this, you, you don't want to read this and say, oh, Ethelite just killed all the people that had a claim on the throne, no big deal. Now this is, this is awful. This is a nation that's in turmoil. They're turned upside down. Just think of living in a country where the queen murders people and her husband did the same thing. He murdered all of his brothers. This is not a safe place. This is a dark, dark country. These wicked leaders are leading a nation, running away from God. There are examples uh, during this time, even though the whole nation is just sliding toward Gomorrah, there are people that momentarily stop it. You'll, you'll have a good king in Judah, but it never turns. It never turns the whole thing around toward God. They just keep getting more and more idolatrous. Idolatry just continues. So it seems like Jehoshaphat 
is the one who takes Joash, this one-year-old king, and somehow keeps this baby alive. But then the rest of the chapter is on Jehoiada, the priest. And you see that in, in 4 and following. So what Jehoiada does, it's, it's really brilliant. Look in um, verse 4. He gets all these leaders, these captains, and he brings them into the house of the Lord. He doesn't go outside. He brings them into a, a, a religious place. He makes a covenant with them, and then he puts them under oath. In other words, I think he says to them, you're going to take an oath about what I'm going to tell you because you're going to do what I tell you. So I want you, we would say, put your hand on the Bible. And they do that, and it's only after that that he brings the, the king out, the, the son's king, who will soon be king. I don't know if it's news to them. It doesn't really say in the text. But then in verse 5, and let me put it in my words, so if you work shift work, you know at the time the shift changes, you have the most employees in the plant or in the whatever it is. You have some of the people going off, and at the same time, you have other people come in, and there's a, a brief period of time when you're, you're all together. You know, the people that are there are saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. People come in and say, okay, I got it. So Jehoiada gets them all together on the Sabbath, and he says, when you want to go home, you stay here. Those of you coming in, we're going to double the ranks, and we're going to protect this king. I couldn't help but think of uh, Colin Powell. He had, I don't think it's really his, I think it was Casper uh, Weinberger's uh, plan, but it was famous with him. He used the term overwhelming force. And what he said is, if you're going to go to war, you win that war. You don't, you don't go on for years and years. You go in with overwhelming force and win the war. And that's what Jehoiada uh, seems to do. He is a great thinker. He's getting these people to do exactly what he wants. And it really, it goes without a flaw. I mean, there's not a hitch in, in the plan. And all that uh, Athalia can say, she just looks at, at what's happening and she tears her clothes and says, treason, treason. It's kind of like a drug dealer saying, you broke the law. Uh, she's treasonous. She's murdering innocent people. She's a follower of Baal. And I don't know if she expects people to, to listen to her, but she does her best. Um, Jehoiada is sensitive to what should happen. And it, it goes into quite a bit of detail, which we're not going to go into, I would say in chapter 10, sorry, verse 10, this is the only mention of King David, and that may give you a hint that they knew this was the, that the author's telling you, this is a hint that they knew this was an heir of David. This seven-year-old boy is an heir of David. Uh, so, they, you know, anoint him king, and you can tell it goes just the way they want it to do. It's according to the custom. He stands a certain place. It's in the temple. He, afterwards, he's going to go to the king's palace or his home. 
Uh, Athaliah just loved to say uh, treason. But notice in verse 16. So they laid hands on her and she went through the horse's entrance to the king's house. Now there's nothing in the text about this. But I just kind of wonder if when they laid their hands on her, they dragged her through the horse poop. <laughs> because she was a nasty person. She was a murderer. And I don't think they were treating her nicely. She was, in moments, she was going to be killed. And at the end of the chapter, everyone's happy that she's, she's dead. It's not what you want at your funeral, no. The city is happy that you're dead. But that's what happened to her. So you see the, this violence of unbelievers, the heroism of uh, this couple, the spiritual renewal. Uh, I didn't mention verse 17. This is really key to this, this part of Jehoiada. So Jehoiada is, is not just content to bring this king up and say, okay, we got rid of Athaliah, this murderous king, now we have a new king. He, he, he does more than that. He makes this religious renewal. This is a spiritual event. And he makes a covenant between the Lord and the king and the people. But then he makes a covenant between the king and the people. So he's not just cleaning house. It's a spiritual focus for what goes on. Now, granted, it doesn't last decades or generations, but it makes a difference um, at that moment. All right, so finally, Christ's kingdom will overcome all opposition. So, you know, when you uh, study a passage, uh, I've taught this passage, I wrote on it for our devotions. Um, sometimes I think, so what would Paul or, or how would Paul or how would Jesus preach on this? I don't think they would end with how great Jehoshaphat and Jehoiada are. I think they would say that they were examples of faith, they were courageous, you know, all the things that, that we've said and, and we've noticed. I think they would talk about a larger issue that we see throughout the Bible. No matter how bleak it looks, no matter how dark it is, no matter how wicked your country is or your church is, Christ's kingdom will overcome all opposition. All opposition. If your church is in turmoil, the kingdom of God is not. Christ's kingdom will overcome all opposition. Persecution has skyrocketed around the world as we've seen. That doesn't mean Christ's kingdom is holding back, but Christ's kingdom is moving forward. Years ago, decades ago, we didn't know how many Christians there were in China. They're all over. There are more young Christians in Africa. They're just growing. Although, I said earlier, all these countries, and mainly sub-Saharan Africa, except for Libya, but Sub-Saharan Africa, that's where all the persecution is. No one can stop his kingdom. I would think that anybody in the world right now could say truthfully, 
the world seems to be spiraling out of control. There are many people that would say, my church is a mess right now. You might say, my family is divided. Well, I'll tell you this, the kingdom of Christ is not spiraling out of control. Christ's kingdom is not a mess, and Christ's kingdom is not divided. Your church, your family, your situation may be, but not Christ's kingdom. You know, going back to Elmo, I, I think I can understand a little bit, because I wonder, if you don't have what we have, wouldn't you be discouraged? What would you point to? And if you pointed to hope, what if someone said, what is the reason for the hope that you have? You don't have an answer to that. You honestly don't have a good answer. So I want to conclude by reading some verses that, that affirm what I'm saying, this Christ kingdom will overcome all opposition. But they say it differently, both Old and New Testament. And you'll, you can see if you think I picked good verses. But it, it seems like they're, they're affirming this. It's not hard, in other words, to find verses in the Bible that talk about this. Paul says in Romans 8, For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what Elder Brian Berkey read, I, I absolutely love that passage. Uh, verse 25 in 1 Corinthians 15, For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The apostle doesn't say Christ probably will reign. He's not saying there's a good chance, like the Lions had a good chance against San Francisco, there's a good chance Christ will reign, but you never know. He must reign. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. If your kingdom is in Algeria, that's all you reign over. If your kingdom is the United States, that's all you reign over. His kingdom is over all. And so he reigns over every nation, over every single individual. And finally, Psalm 145. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So when you say that the kingdom of God is everlasting, what you mean by that is it will never end. No one will ever be able to stop it. No one can say to you, you can't go there. No one will say to God, you've had your time. Step aside. Someone else is going to reign. Because his kingdom is eternal. It's in the heavens. And Christ's kingdom will overcome all opposition. Let's pray together. Well, I thank you for the truth of the Bible. I don't think I've said anything that's, that's new. I don't think anyone has heard. If the if readers of the Bible have been Christians, they, yes, they know this. We know this. It's merely a reminder of how great and glorious you are. 
And even in saying this, we realize we don't know the tiniest portion of how great and glorious you are. There's nothing in our world that relates to being eternal. This day will come to an end, the service is coming to an end, and our lives come to an end. But your kingdom will overcome all opposition, and you must reign. So we pray that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we worship, that you would remind us of these great truths. We pray this now.